right. This morning, I'm going to be speaking on empowering habits. Remember, the series that we're doing is on kingdom greatness, how to be great in the kingdom. And we're going to talk this morning on the subject, empowering habits. And I'm going to start off by giving you a rationale for habits. And then we're going to go into the scriptures, and I'm going to show you the power of habits in scripture. And then I'm going to give you some steps for developing good habits, empowering habits. Amen. Very often when we talk about habits, we tend to talk about breaking bad ones. We tend to talk about breaking bad ones, but you don't hear that many people talking about developing good ones. So you have, you have disabling habits, but you also have empowering habits. And I believe that this is a transition a lot of believers have to go through. Because a lot of believers are into goal setting, and goals are important, and we teach a lot on goal setting. But how many of you know that unless you translate your goals into habits, you don't become a success in life? So I want to submit to you this morning that successful people have different habits to average people. Healthy and fit people have different habits to unhealthy and unfit people. Are you following me? Life is about habits. If there's someone out there that you admire... Don't just ask them about their peaks in life. Ask them about their daily routine. Someone once said, the secret to greatness is hidden in your daily routine. I've mentored a number of people, and from time to time they'll ask me, how do you do all the things you do, Paul? It's about my daily routine. It's about my use of time. Amen? And I believe that God is taking us to a place where we don't measure our spirituality or our success by our peaks but we measure it by our lifestyle. I remember in about 2000, I was doing lots of praying. I was doing what we call personal prayer, prayer crusades. It's where you push in prayer for hours and hours and hours. And um, it's, it's a whole routine around that. And I remember thinking, sure, I'm quite a spiritual person. And the Lord rebuked me and he said, Paul, you are measuring your success and your spirituality by your peaks, not by your lifestyle. Are you following this morning? Just because you do something as a once-off doesn't mean that that's you. Someone once said, we become what we repeatedly do. Successful marriages have great marriage habits. Successful sports people have great sporting habits. Successful families have great family habits. Are you following me this morning? Now, I want to ask you a question. How long does it take to develop a habit? Sorry? Okay, so a lot of people will say 21 days, eh, wrong answer. Okay, that's actually a myth. It's actually a myth. You see, there was a guy called, I'll show you where the myth comes from. There was a guy, he was a plastic surgeon, right, back in the 50s. A guy called Dr. Maxwell Maltz, right? And what he did was he found that when he would give people a nose job, we all know a nose job, right? Yeah, they were happening back in the 50s, right? When he would do that for people, he noticed that it took them 21 days to get used to their new face. And then when people would get amputated, he also noticed a pattern. Because you know what's called the phantom leg, right? When people 
amputees have their leg uh, cut off, but they still think they've got a leg. That lasts for about 21 days, he found. And then afterwards, they get used to their new body and what it looks like. Right? So he started seeing this pattern with 21 days, started doing experiments on himself and noticing, hey, there's this thing that is happening. And you, you talk about a minimum of 21 days. And so he came out with a book, Psycho-Cybernetics, in 1960. It became a bestseller. And that's when he said, you know what? For people to form new mental images of themselves, it seems to take them at least 21 days. And that's where everyone then started saying, oh, 21 days to form new habits, 21 days to form new habits. You, you follow what I'm saying, right? But it gets very discouraging if you've passed the 21 days and you're not, it's not yet a habit. In other words, you're not yet doing it automatically. That's what makes it a habit. It's an automatic response. Then you get discouraged and you start thinking to yourself like, oh no, it's not going to work out. And then you give up. So some research was carried out on people. And what they did was they said, okay, here are 96 people. We want you 96 people to start new habits. And for some of them, it was things like always drinking a glass of water with your meal. With other people, it was like running uh, for 15 minutes each day. And they said, let's monitor you and see at what point does it become automatic. And guess what they found? It was anything from about two months to about eight months. They found that on average, it was 66 days. Can you see where I'm going? And I'm saying this for a reason. I'm saying for a reason because some of you have been discouraged because you start something. I'm starting my new prayer program. I'm starting my new Bible reading program. And you do it for two weeks and it's not yet natural to you and you think, ah, this thing isn't working. It's just not me. I want to encourage you because throughout this message, the Holy Spirit is going to be dropping into your heart specific habits he wants you to start doing. But make a decision that you're going to push through and say to yourself, you know what? I'm going to commit to six months of doing it. That's where you'll start seeing the results. Amen? Someone said, change might not be fast and it isn't always easy. But with time and effort, almost any habit can be reshaped. Isn't that powerful? And for those who are parents, you can actually create a culture of very specific habits in your home. Amen? Those of you who are employers, you can actually create a culture of very specific habits in your businesses. It's so important that I'm preaching this message because you see, we can push in prayer and we can do so-called spiritual things and have wonderful intentions and wonderful goals. But if they do not translate into habits in our lives, we'll always be start, stop, start, stop, start, stop. How many of you know what I'm talking about? We look at people like Jimmy and Tembeko. We look at them and we think, sure, these guys are fit. These guys are strong. How do they get up so early and go to their uh, CrossFit? How do they do that? I'm telling you right now, it's a habit. It's a habit. And if you talk to them, they'll tell you, we feel like if we don't get up and do it, we feel like something is missing. Amen? What are your habits right now that you have? Those things that you do continuously by discipline and routine, but they have now become automatic. What are they? And how many of them are good and empowering? And how many of them are disabling? Let me say something else about habits very quickly. Let me say something very quickly. A lot of people focus on breaking bad habits instead of focusing on displacing their bad habits with good ones. 
You don't just break habits. You displace bad habits with good ones. Amen? It takes a nail to drive out another nail. How do you drive out a nail? You drive out a nail with a nail, right? You drive out bad habits with good ones. Amen? I don't know what bad habits you have, but if you're an emotional eater, and whenever you're feeling sad and lonely, you run to that donut. The way you deal with running to the donut isn't saying, I'm not going to go to donuts anymore. I'm not going to go to donuts anymore. I'm going to stop going to donuts. No donuts, no donuts. That's not how you escape from it. You basically say, when I'm feeling this way, my new habit is I'm going to run to my strong tower, who's Jesus. He's my fortress, not the donut. Amen? You know what? Whenever I'm feeling this way, I'll run to Jesus, and I'll also get that healthy snack alternative to chew on. Amen? You can do that. It's habits. We tend to eat whatever is around the house. So eating habits are linked to buying habits. You tend to eat whatever is in the house. So if you want to stop eating certain things, stop buying them. Amen. Stop buying them. So let's go a little bit deeper. I want to ask you this question. What do you do from time to time that needs to now become a habit and a lifestyle? It's something you do from time to time, but if you're honest with yourself, it's not yet a habit. I used to run from time to time because I knew it was good for me. It's now become a habit. Ask, ask Samuel. It's now become a habit. If I haven't run in a couple of days, I feel like something is missing. Amen? I used to spend time with the Lord in prayer and have radical, powerful times, but it didn't happen every single day. It now happens every single day. And if I get up and I haven't done so, it's like something is missing. Do you ever have it, ladies, when you go out and you don't have your handbag? Maybe for security purposes. Let's say you go to some kind of ball or function and you kind of think like, oh, I haven't got a matching handbag. Come on, I know your world. I haven't got a matching handbag. Honey, can you hold my phone? Honey, can you also hold my wallet? When you walk around and you don't have your handbag, but you're used to having your handbag, you feel naked. Naked, right? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? You feel like something is missing. Okay, that's how I feel if I haven't had my time of prayer, but I'm now driving and I'm onto, on, into my day, going to a client. Now, for some of you, you don't feel that because prayer or morning prayer isn't yet a habit. You know what I'm talking about? So there's nothing missing. You didn't talk to the Lord, but it doesn't make any difference. It's not yet a habit. Amen? It becomes easier for us to do things in our lives when they are habits. How many of you get frustrated if you say to someone, have you brushed your teeth? And they say, I forgot. Because you're like, how do you forget to brush your teeth? Don't you feel funny? Don't you feel funny like going, if you go to bed and you haven't brushed your teeth, doesn't your mouth feel? There's certain things you just don't forget to do. I don't want to be crude or anything, but there's certain things you just you can't forget to do. I won't go there because there'll always be someone afterwards who'll say, yeah, pastor, it was a great message, but that other thing that you said, you know, if you go to the loo, for example, what, uh, afterwards, what happens? 
There are things you have to do, right? You, you don't need, yeah. <laughs> oh, washing your hands. Yeah, that's a good example. Let's stick to that one. Yeah, because I forgot to wash my hands. <laughs> what is it that you do from time to time that now needs to be a habit? Some of you get frustrated with people and you're like, why didn't they do X? Why didn't they do Y? You get frustrated with them. I'll tell you why you're frustrated. It's not yet a habit in their lives. Simple as that. Sean Covey in The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teens said, we become what we repeatedly do. My question to you this morning is what you are trying to do sustainable. One of the pieces of advice, when I started running again, my wife would say to me, my love, start off with just a little bit because it has to be sustainable. And that's one of the things, if you study the psychology of habits, don't try to do too much too quickly. Because you end up not enjoying it and then you're put off. You're like, this thing is tough. Why do people do this? Right? Whenever you want to form a new habit, it's been found that you can actually get into the routine of doing the particular thing even when you sometimes skip it a few times. Do you know that if someone decides they want to start going to the gym? Do you know that it's been found that if they just get into their gym kit and go to the gym, whichever gym you go to, and buy something from Kauai. Okay, then that's virgin actor, right? And buy something from, you know, the, the shop there, a smoothie. And you don't even train. And you just go back home. That's actually helping you in the habit formation. Because you get, it's getting into your psyche that this is what I do. The very fact that you get up early in the morning and you say, I'm having my devotion. Even if it's very short to start off with. You're getting into the habit of doing it. You don't have to compare yourself with your spiritual giant friend who prays for X number of hours each day. You start off small. Amen? And let me just say this. Spouses are not always at the same level when it comes to this. And sometimes there's pressure married people put themselves under. And sometimes one can always feel like, oh, I'm not quite there yet because your husband is, is way ahead of you or your wife is way ahead of you. It's good to be equally yoked, but it's important to understand that we've got different strengths. There's some people where some things come more easily to them than others. Amen? Now, it's wonderful when you can do certain things together. It's wonderful when you are similar levels in terms of certain things because you relate to each other better. But it's important to understand that we've got different expressions of our spirituality. So maybe you're one who goes into your closet and there you are. Shandai, Shandai, driving my Hyundai until I die. Shandai, Shandai, driving my Hyundai until I die. Shandai, Shandai, driving my Hyundai until I die. Three hours later, Shandai, Shandai, driving my Hyundai until I die. Shandai, Shandai. You're there, you're going for it, you're doing your thing. But maybe your spouse prefers to be on the piano, playing, singing in the spirit, praying over different people, prophesying over nations, or maybe they prefer to be sitting out in the garden, or maybe they prefer to take a prayer walk. We mustn't judge each other's spirituality. We've got different ways of expressing our relationship with the Lord and our devotion. Amen. And it's spiritual, it's spiritual pygmies who judge other people and say, oh no, the way you are praying, that's not real prayer. This is the real one. Because maybe that person who goes straight in their closet and they shanda shanda, maybe the Lord is saying, you know, you need to chill a bit and just wait on the Lord and listen to me a bit more. Because there's something called listening prayer. 
Not just as soon as you get into your closet, and you're missing the target. There's some people who get into the closet and just be waiting on the Lord. And after a few minutes, they'll pray a very strong sniper prayer and hit the target. Amen? So what is a habit? What is a habit? Before I define it, I want to say this to you. Sometimes we see people who've become very good at certain things. They're very good. And we think it's because of natural talent. That's called a fixed mindset, not a growth mindset. We think they're good because of natural talent. And so what we do, we say, there's no point in me trying because God gifted them differently, so I won't try. I've got a friend who's a, who was a very good reader, a guy I was at junior school with and at high school. He was very good at reading, very quick reader. And I remember once asking him, how did you get into the whole reading thing? And guess what he said? He used to live out of town, right? And every morning he lived, uh, those of you from the Harare area, you'll know uh, a place called Malfit, Bromley. And his dad worked in Harare. And literally every morning they would go in, they'd commute you know, in, in his dad's car, they would go into school, come out, and he would always just get a book out and he would read. How many of you know reading is a habit? They're not just special people. That's a reader. This one is not a reader. It's a habit you develop. And all the people in this room who read a lot, there was a time when that habit was developed. And for him, he would just read in the car. That's what he did. Some of you have been very good with gadgets. My kids are very good with gadgets. You know? Often they're like, no, no, this is how it works, mom. This is how it works, dad. But that habit has been, has been developed because it's something they routinely do all the time. So sometimes I can sit with Samuel and there's something on my phone. So, Dad, let me just do it. Is it because he's naturally cleverer than me when it comes to technology? Okay, he's probably naturally cleverer than me, okay? But when it comes to technology, no, he does it every day. Whenever he finds a gap, that's what he's doing. I'm not saying it's a good thing, but that's what he's doing. Amen? What are those things you need to just be doing more often and repeatedly so that they become habits? I used to dread having to go for a run because I was never at a place where I was fit enough to enjoy it. How many of you know that you never enjoy those first few weeks of running until what happens? Until you're doing it consistently every single day and you're pushing through, you're getting personal bests, personal bests, personal bests. People who've been running for years are like, huh? In a number of months, this is what you're now doing, Paul. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I'm doing. Uh-huh. Okay. And then you're motivated. And now I'm not dreading it. I've already planned. This afternoon I'm going to go with Samuel and we'll join my wife. She would have already done 45 minutes because she has to do a 90-minute run. So we've already planned. I've already said to her, you do your first 45. She'll come home, pick us up, and, and we'll carry on doing the next 45. We've already planned. It's going to be at quarter to six as soon as our game is finished. As soon as the game is over, Right? This the game, watching the soccer match, right? I've already said to Samuel, second half, we need to be changed in our running gear. We're going running. I'm not dreading it. I'm looking forward to it. Amen? Why? It's now a habit. Let's go deep into this. Let's define habits. I like this definition. It's an, a habit is this, an acquired behavior pattern regularly followed until it has become almost involuntary. For example, the habit of looking both ways before crossing the street. 
the habit of looking both ways before crossing the street. Okay? I like it in Merriam-Webster. It's a settled tendency or usual manner of behavior. For example, her habit of taking a morning walk. You know, there are people who've got a habit of taking an afternoon nap. That's what they do. Why are you laughing? It's, it's, it's useful. It's actually very useful. And it's interesting the different things. Are. Jimmy, you're looking at me and I'm now remembering your thing. For Jimmy, it's a morning nap. Jimmy gets, gets up very early in the morning, super early, I think four or something. They go to gym, etc. And then just before, like at work, I think it's at about half past eight or something. I don't know. There's a, is it eight o'clock? There's a special, like, is it 30 minutes or 20 minute nap? 20 minute power nap he takes. And then he says, then I'm good to go for the rest of the day. So you have afternoon siestas, and some cultures have that, right? Your continentals. That's why some people in countries like Mozambique, for example, if you've got a multinational organization in, and you're in Mozambique there, I remember speaking to someone saying it was a bit tricky because we had like people from Spain and Portugal, then you had people from Denmark and places like that, some of the other European countries, all together, working together. The guys from Spain and Portugal are used to their afternoon siesta. That's like a long lunch break, late lunch. And then you've got the guys like from Denmark and so on where they work like machines from early. Can you see if you are leading a multinational team, sometimes it's like, okay, so what are the rules? When do people chill? And where do people get going and just carry on? Amen? So people have got certain habits. It's also an addiction. For some people, you talk about a drug habit the person has got. So when someone is addicted to something, it's a habit. I like this definition. It's also from Merriam-Webster. A, a behavior pattern acquired by frequent repetition or physiologic exposure that shows itself in regularity or increased facility of performance. Okay? Now, here's the interesting thing. The place in your brain, the place in your brain where you have intentions and goals is completely separate, almost separate to the place which is called your procedural memory, to the place where you have habits. Everyone following? That's why sometimes you can have someone with great goals and intentions, but those things never become habits. So the muscle that helps you in terms of goals, your will, your aspiration is not the same muscle when it comes to habit formation. So we need to have both. Amen. We need to have both. Now let's, let's, look, at, let's look at habits in Scripture. Let's look at habits in Scripture. I want to say to you, when you're forming a new habit, try to form it in the same context. Context is important when it comes to habits. Let me give you an example. My wife was running recently, and then she got tired and decided to stop. And then she said, you know what? There was a lady who I didn't even know who came running past me without thinking. She said, without thinking, I literally just got up and joined her. And I said to her, that's because it's become a habit in that context. You love running in groups. When you see someone else then passing you like that, you've been so used to, your brain has been so used to being triggered by, hey, come guys, let's carry on. 
And so there was no question to fear rejection. There was no question or time to basically be like, who's this person? Do I know them or not? It was a lady who had just had a baby three months ago and she was getting going. She wasn't as fast as my wife, but she just joined up. That is a habit, but it's a habit that's stimulated by context. Do you know that it's been found that people are more likely to start new habits when they're experiencing a life change. So if you're about to move houses, that's a good opportunity to start new habits. If you're in a situation where you've just had a baby, it's a good opportunity to say, okay, we've now got an additional member of the family, let's start these other new habits. They actually did some research on people who were continuing in the same context but wanted to start new habits, and then other people who had major life changes and wanted to start new habits, and they found that the ones who had major life changes, they were successful. They were more successful than the others. Amen? Context is important. They got some people who were smokers, and they said, can you give us pictures of places where you loved smoking? They were, they were personal to you. And these people gave them the pictures. And they found that when they showed them these pictures of these places, these smokers or former smokers, even if they had not been craving cigarettes before, just the sight of that context stimulated them, made them want to smoke. Whereas when they showed them general pictures, it wasn't really a big deal compared to when they saw the specific ones. Context is important when you're forming habits. In other words, have that specific place you go to in order to pray, if you want to form the habit of prayer. Amen. Okay? So, let's look, look at these examples. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. It says, But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. That word practice or use is the word hexis in the Greek. You form habits through constant use. So in this case, the people who became mature were those who constantly used the word. Not from time to time, but they constantly used it. One of the things I've realized about myself is I'll read the word more if my Bible is always on my desk and I can see it. Have you noticed that when your Bible is packed away somewhere, you don't read it as much? Right? Those, that, so that's a trigger for the habit. Okay? If you want the habit of constant use of the word. Jesus' prayer life was a habit. In Luke 5 verse 16 it says, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. It doesn't say from time to time he did so. It doesn't say once a year he did so. It says he often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. In other words, there was a specific type of place he went to and he did it as part of his routine. Amen? Mark 1 verse 35. What I find interesting is this scripture doesn't just appear once. It's multiple times in scripture. It makes reference to this. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Did you notice that it didn't just say he prayed in the crowds? 
It didn't just say, oh, while we were just chilling with him, he prayed. It's talking about his devotion, his personal devotion. And it says, he went to a solitary place. Elsewhere it says, he went to the wilderness. He went to an isolated place. So there was a place of prayer for him. There was a context. Amen? So he had a prayer habit. Attending a place of worship was a habit in the New Testament. In Luke 4, verse 16, it says, He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. Whenever you see that word custom in Scripture, it's the same word for habit or tradition. And very often when we speak about traditions, we speak about breaking away from bad traditions. You know, like when we are charismaniacs, that's our mindset, isn't it? It's like, oh, are you just being traditional? What bad tradition is that? Are you just doing that because that's a tradition of men, right? But how many of you know that they're good traditions? And it's important for us to have good traditions, good customs, good habits. And we displace the bad ones with the good ones. But I find it interesting that Jesus went to the synagogue as was his custom. As was his custom. And then we go a little bit further. That word custom, by the way, is the word ethos. Athos in the Greek, and it means something that is based on habit or tradition. So here's my question to you. Church attendance, for some people it's a nice to do. Have you noticed that? You ask them, what church do you go to? Yeah, no, sometimes I go to this one, and then sometimes I go to this one. Yeah, but my church is this one. You're like, what church do you go to? <laughs> it's clearly not a habit. Or hear some people say, I know I'll visit you guys sometime. And they think they're doing you a favor by visiting your church. So visiting a church becomes a nice to do. Have you noticed that? It becomes a nice to do. It's not a habit. But it says, as was his custom. In other words, it was something that he did based on routine. Let me say something. Church attendance, when it becomes a habit or a custom, you don't compromise it. I'm shocked by the number of people. I'm shocked by the number of people who say, sorry, we couldn't come to church because my cousin brother was visiting. Oh, sorry, I couldn't come to church last week because my mother-in-law was around. Oh, sorry, I I couldn't come to church because my cousin's sister's brother was, was in hospital. You've just shown me that it's not a habit because I can tell you right now, there will always be a reason for you not to come to church if it's not a priority. Amen? And what we always advise people is when people are staying with you at your house, they do what you do because they're under you. If they don't want to come to church, they stay at home. They know you're a Christian. They know you've got duties at church. They know you love the word, you love worship, it's really important to you. So as long as you come to my house and you're staying with me, it could even be for one day, it could be for two days, you know, Sunday we go to church. If you don't want to come, you can go to your church if there's another church you want to go to, that's cool. You don't have to come to our church. But if you don't want to come to church, then you chill and we'll say, cheers, we're going to church. Because going to church trumps me having to be with you every single moment. You'll never have people staying with you if you feel that pressure of having to be with them every single moment. Amen? Church attendance is a habit. 
That's why you'll find in winter what happens. And this is something I learned a couple of years ago through a pastor friend of mine. Numbers tend to go down in winter, right? And people lie in and they're like, it's too dark to go to church. But you can be at church for an evening service when it's dark also. It's like there's this mindset of it's too dark to be at church. Right? But you go to work. During the week, you go to work when it's dark. In winter. But can't come to church. And you know what I realized? I realized that a lot of people then don't come back after winter. See, we always thought like, no, then after, they take a break for two months during winter. Because winter really, when it's very cold, is just about two months, right? Or a month and a half, depending on your levels of, you know, uh, how you deal with the elements. I used to think people then come back when it's now August. They're now coming back to church. But I learned through a pastor friend of mine is that, that a lot of people then form a bad habit during those two months and they don't come back. Amen? Because your habit is Sunday morning is when I'm lying in. Now we start church at 9.30, so you can still lie in. 9.30 is quite late. I mean, a large portion of the day has gone by. During the week when you're working, you start work at 8. Church starts 9.30. Amen? Now watch this. It was a habit for Jesus. It can be a habit for you and me, right? Um, in Acts chapter 2, verse 46, it says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. What does it mean when it says they continued every day? It became a habit because it was something they did on a daily basis. Continuing here means to attend constantly. To attend constantly. So when we have Monday night prayer, there's some of you where you attend constantly. When we have Sunday morning prayer, there's some of you who come from time to time and there's some of you where it's a habit. You attend constantly. Acts chapter 17 verse 2. As was his custom... As was his what? As was his custom. As was his tradition. As was his habit. What did Paul do? Paul went into the synagogue. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Hebrews 10 verse 25. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So when people stop attending church, very often it's a habit. And we think there's a crisis. What did we do wrong? Why are they not coming anymore? You know what I've learned in life? When it comes to church attendance, a lot of people become high-maintenance people. And what I've seen is that the same effort it takes to keep someone in church or to get them to come to church will be the same effort it takes to keep them there. You know those people where each week you have to make them happy and do something special for them just to keep them coming to church? I'm not going to do that. I'll teach you the word. You have a revelation. You're mature and you're able to say, you know what, I'm going to also now be a contributor in this environment because I don't have the energy to come and mollycoddle every single person and say, are you happy? Are you happy? Please come next week, please, please. Otherwise, you, pop, you burst my bubble. Amen. We don't have the time and energy for that. But we encourage each other. We exhort each other. We follow up now and again. But it's so wonderful when you're working with a people who become mature and their mindset is, this is what we do, me and my family. Amen? This is what we do, me and my family. 
When your habits are so strong, what I've noticed is that people around you will then respect that. One of the things I've seen with, uh, with, with Musa and Nyeleti, I hope you guys don't mind me saying this, but uh, I can say it since it's your membership day. Um, they're strong when it comes to uh, date night as a couple. They're strong in terms of like this night in the week, it's date night. That's what we're doing. And you know what it's done for me? As I've tried to set up meetings with them or invite them to such and such a meeting, even as their pastor, it's this thing at the back of my mind. Oh, Paul, I remember it happened the one day. Paul, you want to have such and such a thing? It'll be nice to have Musa around, but oh, it's their date night. So let's, let's change the day. Why do we end up doing that with certain people? We do it because you can see that they're so resolute about this is what we do at such and such a time. I've actually seen it when it comes to people who I interact with, where I have to mentor them in how I live my life in terms of my program on weekends. And then they respect that. They know they have to give me notice. They can't just be like, oh, this afternoon we're doing this, can you join us? The unprepared person will always be at the mercy of the prepared person. If you don't have a plan for what you're going to do over the weekend, you'll always be on someone else's program. Have you noticed that? You'll always be on someone else's program. How committed are you to your habits? That's a key question. All right? So that word ethos is a powerful one. It's that word custom, right? As was this custom, Paul went into the synagogue, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Okay, we encourage each other to come to church. It becomes a habit when we don't. One of the things we see in scripture is that habits become deeply ingrained and hard to change. The moment you sink into bad habits, they become deeply ingrained and hard to change. How many of you know that those of you who are regular tithers, it becomes a habit, right? Doesn't matter how much you're tithing, even if it's difficult, it just becomes a habit. It's this thing you do. And you almost feel insecure when you haven't yet done so. You're always just thinking, oh, I need to tithe. Oh, yeah, I need to. Oh, I haven't yet tithed. That's how you think. And you don't have to get recognition for it because it's a thing where it's just like, this is what I do. This is my primary sense of security financially. But when you're still learning to tithe, it's this whole process where each month you're asking the question, should I tithe or not? <sighs> yeah, I think, am I okay with other things? Yeah, no, this month I'll tithe. It's not yet a habit. Amen? Now, Jeremiah 13 verse 23 says, can an Ethiopian change his skin? Now, you know, back in the day when they'll talk about Ethiopians, you know who they're talking about, right? Anyway, can an Ethiopian change his skin? In other words, can a darker-skinned person, you know, change their skin, all right? Or a leopard, it's spots. Or a leopard, it's spots. Neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. Can you see that doing evil becomes a habit? who are accustomed to doing evil. That's actually the same word for someone who's been taught, someone who's been discipled. They've been accustomed. They've been instructed in a certain way. That's why you'll find certain people who are involved in certain cults or in certain uh, political groups. You know those cadets? And they have a certain way drilled into them. You see that it's very difficult to break out of that afterwards. 
And in some of these places, they're good habits. They get accustomed to good things. But in some of these places, they're accustomed to bad things. And it's something that seeps into their marriage, seeps into their parenting, seeps into their church life. We see it happening. Okay? My question to you is, are you leaving your children to become accustomed to doing evil? Practicing doing evil. That's the thing. That's why we are particular about certain computer games. And we keep having this discussion with our kids and we say, they say, but we're not really doing it in real life. You know, this is just a game. And we're like, yeah, but if you keep repeating this thing, where you're continuously doing this thing, and it might look like it's fantasy. After a while, when you see it happening in real life, it's a non-issue for you. Your conscience is seared in that area. It's not a big deal because you've seen visuals of it and you're repeatedly practicing it. It's one thing to watch something on television. It's another level when you're actually practicing it in a video game. Amen? So it's something to watch out for. Are we being accustomed to doing evil? Are we becoming used to doing evil? So how do you embed and reinforce a habit? Would you like to hear a bit about that? How do you embed and reinforce a habit? How do you do it? The first thing is connect the habit to a value, a principle, or a scripture. Connect the habit to a value, a principle, or a scripture. If you want to get me to start doing something, for example, why do people start running? Initially, they've learned something about healthy lifestyle. And they know that being fit is a part of it. So they've got that conviction of it's a good thing. Amen? The worst thing is if I try and tell you to have certain habits that you don't actually value, where you're like, but why should I be doing that? Why would someone do that? Why is that a thing for you guys? Now, if you're thinking that way, then you'll never form that habit. One of the saddest things that has been said is that how do you keep something from an African? Put it in a book. You know that saying, right? It was popularized by, uh, like in certain political parties. That's why you'll notice a lot of people with a strong background in one of the political parties of this country, you know, Nelson Mandela would reinforce that, and a lot of the people are strong readers. They love reading, because that was the big thing of how people are going to hide things from an African, they'll put it in a book, so let's read as much as possible. Amen? If you've got, if you, if you've got a conviction about something, that leaders are readers, you'll read. And there are different ways of reading. You can get a book and you can read, and that's a good way of doing it, okay? You can also listen to audio books as you are driving, but getting information is important. Do you know that there are certain billionaires who don't really read much, but they value what's in books? And guess what one of the guys did? He'll say to a guy, can you read that book for me, and I'm going to pay you to read it, and tell me what the million-dollar idea in the book is. You get what I'm saying? Because they're hungry for knowledge. If you come to my house, a couple of you might have seen my study. How many of you have seen my study? Or maybe you've seen it on YouTube where I've done some of my talks. You just see books, books, books. Three walls. Walls, just books from the ceiling right down. Why? Hungry for knowledge. Hungry for knowledge. Hungry for knowledge. Amen? I haven't read all of them. I don't want to pretend. I don't want to lie to you. Okay? I haven't read all of them. But at least I get them. We're talking the other day that in a lot of people's homes, it's a certain 
grouping of people, but I don't want to label it because some of you are sensitive, right? With certain people, the only books you see in their house is the textbooks they were forced to buy when they were doing an MBA. Do you know what I mean? Or their children's homework books. Or one book that they, their pastor wrote and they felt pressure to get the book so it's there. Or, the, or their pastor gave it to them as a freebie. That's the only book you'll see. <laughs> not, in this, not, not you guys here, okay? I'm talking about the people out there, okay? <laughs> so you have to have a conviction about a particular thing in order to do it. You're more likely to stick to something that you have a conviction about. Amen? Secondly, translate your goals into habits. Whatever goal you've got, translate it into a habit. If someone says, Paul, Paul, I want to lose weight. If someone says that, Paul, I want to lose weight, is that a goal? No, it's not. It's a wish. It's a desire. But if that same person says, Paul, you know what? My ideal weight is X. Therefore, by August, I need to have lost 7 kgs. I'm enlisting Jimmy as my personal trainer. I'm going to get Samuel to be my dietitian, and I'm going to make myself accountable to Meliswa. Is that a goal? Yes, that's a goal. A goal is a dream with a deadline. Now, once you've started off with your goal setting and you've got an action plan around it, the next step is to say, what am I going to routinely do to translate this goal into a habit? So I might have a goal to say, I want to drink X number of liters of water per day. But how many of you know that if it just stays as a goal, it won't happen? How does it become a habit? Do you know what I do? Wherever I go, I have to have my bottle of water with me. So when I get into the car, in the same way people say, oh, I left my phone. Oh, I left my handbag. I'm like, where's my water bottle? Where's my water bottle? Amen? When I go into my study to pray or to do some work, there always has to be that water bottle there. As long as that water bottle is in front of me, I'm guaranteed drinking many waters, many liters of water. Amen? Per day. Can you see the power of translating goals, intentions into habits? What do you do from time to time that needs to become a habit? Thirdly, develop a routine and a context around that habit. In Matthew 6, 5 to 6, Jesus says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who's unseen. What is going on here? There's a context for the habit. Can you see that? He's basically saying day in, day out, same place, do your thing. Very powerful. Context is important, ladies and gentlemen. That's why you find that a lot of times people form wonderful habits until they go away on holiday. Have you noticed that? Why? Because they had a nice routine in the same context. That's why you literally have to have a mindset that says, whenever I'm now on holiday, this is what my routine will actually look like. Because if you don't pre-decide what that will look like, you will just fade. A lot of people say, Paul, I'm really, really great, and I keep my health and fitness going until I travel for business. 
then it just goes out of the window. You have to have habits for the different context. Those of you who move around in different contexts. Otherwise, you'll feel discouraged. Amen? Okay. What are some dangerous cues in your life that are linked to bad habits of the past? You see, because you want to have the right trigger and context to help you with your good habits. But how many of you know that the wrong triggers and the wrong contexts can help you with your bad habits? I still remember when we were at Varsity and we were singing an old song, those BVSMP songs and so on. And we were just messing around as friends and we were just like singing it, going for it and so on. And I remember one sister started joining us and singing the particular song. Then she suddenly stopped. I remember thinking to myself, okay, I think it's touched a nerve. Why? Because that song reminded her of an old context in her before Christ days. Amen? That's why often people will say, you know what, I want to live a righteous life. I want to live a holy life. But they always will fall into sin triggered by the wrong context. There's some people who've got that pattern. And you say, what happened? Then you say to them, how come you always do this? Not when you're at church with your Christian friends. But if, whenever you go back to that specific friend and you're at that specific place and you listen to that specific music, that's where you go down that path. What is happening? It's a trigger and a cue for the bad habits. What are the things you're supposed to avoid? Because it's a trigger for bad habits. When I see a running track, like a track, an athletics track, it does something to me. Even when I'm not feeling fit, ask my kids. I just see a track and I'm already visualizing myself running on it. Because there's something in my brain that's basically associating a track with success. Because I remember back in the day, really back in the day, running, going around that bend. Why do I love those bends? Because I remember that final bend and you've got your whole school there cheering for you and you're miles ahead of everyone else when you're doing 400 meters. I've still got that association today. It doesn't matter how unfit I feel, I just go and I see a track and I'm just like, if I'm dropping off my kids for soccer, let's say at Tux or somewhere there, and I'm driving past that, tack, that track, those tartan tracks, like, <sighs> I've got that association with a track. Amen? I don't know why you're laughing. <laughs> I'm trying to make the teaching land, okay? So environmental cues direct attention and activate a habitual response in the mind even when people are not experiencing a desire to act. Even when you're not experiencing a desire to act. Ladies and gentlemen, this stuff needs to be taught in church. Because there are a lot of people becoming successful, but they're being taught this by lecturers who are humanists. They're being taught this by new age people. And I'm saying habits and the science of habits is central to discipleship. But you don't hear people teaching on this in church. Amen? We need to form good habits. So number four, find a cue or a trigger for the habits. If you want to remember to read your Bible, put it somewhere visible. When I started running again, literally I would, the night before, I would take out my running clothes, my running shoes, and I would put them next to my bed so that that was the first thing I saw in the morning when I, when I woke up. And then I would get changed 
Number five, invest in your habit. Invest in your habit. There's something called the sunk cost fallacy. The sunk cost fallacy. Have you noticed what happens when you go to the movies? You buy your popcorn, right? Or you buy whatever you're going to drink. Or you sneak in some sweets, whatever, you know, you do. Whatever habit you have, right? Yes, I knows you, I knows you. Those of you who like to save money and you're like, no, these guys should not do this. Sturkin, of course, should not do this. I'm bringing my own things. And then everyone in the cinema room is, is smelling, you know, like uh, the meat you cooked at home. And they're wondering, hey, do we also get that, you know? <laughs> the sausages you had for breakfast. <laughs> but the point is this. You pay the money first, don't you? You pay the money first, you get in, and you're now in that auditorium, and you're watching this movie. Ten minutes into the movie, you realize this is going to be a waste of time, and it's a three-hour movie. Do you leave? You li Most people usually just waste their time and spend that three hours there. Why? Sunk cost fallacy. Because I've already invested in it, I must push through. It's the same with habits. Invest in your habits. Invest in your habits. How many of you have done certain things or used certain equipment because you paid for it yourself? You know what I'm talking about. Some of you have got nice gym equipment at your house and there's almost this thing of, okay, and we've got a gym room now and we've got the gym equipment now. Yeah, so we must use it because you've spent money on it. Amen? Invest in your habits, ladies and gentlemen. Invest in your habits. Number six, Develop a reward system for achieving milestones within the habit. Reward yourself when you're successful with that particular habit. But the reward must be something that reinforces the habit. So you can't say, oh, you know what, I'm now super fit. Therefore, I'm going to reward myself with um, uh, this week I can have as many donuts as I want. That's not reinforcing your healthy habits. So for example, there's a pair of shoes that I would like to get. But I'm only going to get it once I've reached certain milestones in my running. Can I go and get it right now after church? Yes, I can. I'm physically able to do so, but I've made them a reward. Amen? There have been times when my wife will say to me, my love, why don't we get this and this for you? And I'm like, I'm not ready. It's my reward for when I've achieved this. So it becomes something that you work towards. Amen? We link rewards with positive association with specific habits. Are you getting something this morning? Okay. Number seven, start small with the habit. I've mentioned that. It's so important to enjoy the journey. It's so important to enjoy the journey. This thing of habits, it's basically, you know what? It's not buy now, pay later. It's pay now, and you'll enjoy the benefits later. Because right now it's tough. I remember I dropped off Samuel somewhere in, at his school in Pretoria East. I dropped him off, and he was doing his rowing. And I thought, best use of time, let me go and do a run. And then while I'm waiting for them, I'll put in some prayer time. And I ran around that neighborhood, and I was now trying to avoid the hills. But it's a hilly neighborhood. And I'll go, and I'll think, oh, let me turn here. It's nice and flat. Then I see this hill. And I remember running, and I was thinking, why do people do this to themselves? Why do we do this to ourselves? Why do we do this to ourselves? I learned that I have to keep finding ways to keep enjoying it. Because if I torture myself too much in my journey, I might be put off. Amen? So you want to mix the tough times and you want to balance it with, you know what, we're just going to do an easy run. 
And the mistake I was making, and my wife would warn me, she would say, you don't have to have a personal best time each time you go out and run. It doesn't have to be a time trial each time you go out and run. Sometimes you can just take it easy and just work on your pure endurance where you do a long, easy run. I would look at my running program and it would say, slow and steady, easy run, X number of minutes. But I would go and I'd be like, I'm feeling good. Hey, let's see if I can break my record. And then I'll push more. I'll be like, yo, this stuff is tough. Amen? Start small with the habit. Start small with the habit. Number eight, adjust your self-concept to suit the habit. In other words, when people say, so are you into jogging? I'll say, no, I'm an athlete. I'm a runner. There's a difference. Amen? Because when you see yourself in a certain way and you talk about yourself in a certain way, you then live out your self-concept. I'm a prayer warrior. I had to change my self-concept because sometimes when it comes to prayer, we kind of think it's this thing where those prayer warriors do it and those hardcore people from West Africa or East Africa, they're the ones who really do it. And I had to start calling myself different things. Amen? I was challenging my son Samuel the other day because he's been doing really well in his work. He's been getting in the 90s and so on. And then he told one of his friends that. Then I was challenging him saying like, are you bragging? Are you bragging? And then he says, no, because he had said to one of his friends, I'm, I'm smart or I'm smarter now. I'm smart and so on. Then I thought he was bragging. And then I challenged him on that and he corrected me and he says, well, it's true, dad. I am smart. And I thought to myself, well, maybe he's got a point. Let him speak out how he feels about himself. He's very smart. And let him make that as an affirmation over his life instead of the false humility that says, oh, if I, if I tell someone that I am, people might think I'm bragging. Amen? Your self-concept affects your habits. I like what someone once said, habits stay with you even when you don't have the motivation. Even when you don't have the motivation, the things that have become habits, they stay with you. And number nine, create scripts and affirmations to reinforce your habits. And I want to close this message by giving you examples of some scripts that I've used and affirmations that help me with specific habits. How many of you know that you've got habits for different areas of life? So, for example, you can come up with I habits, and you'll see this when you download the PDF from the website. What do we mean by I habits? Habits of the eyes. When I see an attractive female eye, what's your habit, gentlemen? What do you do when you see an attractive female? It's called bouncing. I was speaking at a couple's dinner the other day. Uh, Tendai and Q, you were there. All right? I was speaking at a couple's dinner the other day, and I spoke to them about bouncing. And one guy said to me afterwards, I don't even have a chance to bounce. My wife would have already killed me like if she sees me just looking. Right? Bouncing is you see someone, and you can see that this person is pretty or they're beautiful, but you let your eyes quickly bounce off that and go somewhere else. When you make your eyes linger, it can lead to something else. Amen? That's why Job says he had a covenant with his eyes. So my wife will never catch me or see me like, you know, with some guys, you're trying to have a meeting with them and they're like, yes, pastor. Yeah, yeah pastor. 
So, so you're saying, yes, pastor. You know, always looking at someone. That's a habit. It's a habit that has to be displaced with another habit called bouncing. Are you following this morning? Okay. When I'm watching TV, when I'm watching TV and I see that a scene is about to come up that is not an appropriate scene, even as a grown man, I've got no problems closing my eyes. My love, is it gone? Has it gone yet? Now I can see. Why? I, I, I am in charge of my eye gates. I'm in charge of my eye gates. I'm in charge of what I allow to enter my eye gates. I'm in charge of my ear gates also. Amen? Don't think to yourself, I'm a grown man. These are things, we are mature adults. We can handle it. We can see it. Because those images you see end up affecting you the next number of hours. Amen? I know some of the ladies are now going to be, honey, did you hear that thing about bouncing now? Did you hear that thing about bouncing? There's nothing wrong with the first look because you can't avoid people. There's Tembeko there. She's in front of me. I can't avoid her. The problem and the dangerous thing is the second look. Amen? It'll be so embarrassing, gentlemen, if, you, if there are these billboards and you have bad eye habits now, then there's a billboard and you look at it like this and then you have an accident. How will you explain that to your wife? <laughs> Honey, what happened? How did you bump that lamp pole? Ah, the car, it, it just, it went into the, ah, and then look at my bonnet now, it happened, it happened to me. No, you were looking at that billboard. By the way, <laughs> I lost control of this thing. Let me just say, let me just say something, go and look at the stats, and the stats are bad, hey? Like, I remember coming across some UK stats in terms of the number of men that had been involved in car accidents, and the reason was they were looking at a billboard. At least they were honest about it. Amen? Then you have character habits. When someone cracks a coarse joke, I always. When I'm waiting to pick up my kids, I. I don't get impatient because there are things I do in the car when I'm waiting. They know. They know dad will be having his prayer time. Dad will be. they default things I do in my use of time. When a female walks into the room, I like to always stand up for the, for the female, reminding myself I'm a gentleman and she's a lady. Okay? I always inform my wife about any interaction I have with someone of the opposite sex. Even if it's a business call, whatever, I'll tell her that. The moment you can't disclose certain things to your spouse, especially about the opposite sex, you need to ask yourself, why can't you? Amen? Home life habits. Whenever visitors come to our house, I always. When visit, whenever visitors arrive, we always. Whenever visitors leave, we always. Whenever visitors sleep over, we always. When I'm eating with my family and the phone rings, I always. When I arrive home, I always take my phone as a habit and I go and charge it in my study and leave it there and then I come through. Why do I do that? I don't want my kids to kind of feel like dad would rather be somewhere else. Ladies and gentlemen, sometimes it's better to actually stay in your car for an extra 20 minutes before entering your home and finish off all your business calls and then go in to your house and be fully present and fully engaged. Are you hearing me this morning? These are habits. 
There's some people who've got bad telephone etiquette, telephone habits, where the moment the phone just buzzes, it's like this reflex. What did we used to do before we had cell phones? We survived, didn't we? Why is it nowadays everything seems urgent? When I'm about to leave home, I always. When my kids arrive home, I. Security and safety habits. When I'm in the car and don't have hands free and the phone rings, I always. I never walk downstairs with my hands in my pocket. And whenever I notice one of my kids doing it, I'm like, guys, take your hands out. Why? It's a safety hazard. It's a safety hazard because if you trip and fall, you've got nothing to support you. What are some of the safety habits you've got? Okay. When I'm crossing the street, I always. Some money habits. When I receive any form of income, I always, number one, thank the Lord. Number two, inform my wife. Number three, tithe. Those are habits, aren't they? The other day I had some business breakthrough and I see that, ooh, the, I see it on the phone, a text, and I'm about to tell my wife and the Lord reminds me, what's my key habit? Thank the Lord first. Then tell my wife. Then tithe. Amen? Very important. What are your money habits? What are your money habits? Speech habits. I make sure that every day I compliment people. They say when you're building your network with people, the first 30 seconds of seeing someone, find something positive to say about them, compliment them. Okay? People are drawn to that. Whenever people praise me, I, for some of you, it's like I give glory to the Lord. Not in a pseudo-spiritual way. You know those people you say, oh, thank you, that was really an encouraging message, really appreciated. Ah, to God be the, it's the Lord. It wasn't me, it's the Lord. Especially singers, have you noticed that? Christian singers. Wow, I loved the way you did that song. It was so wonderful. Hey, it's the Lord, it's the Lord. And you think to yourself, if it was really the Lord, why was there that slight discord at the beginning? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> we just didn't tell you about the discord, but for the most part, it was great, okay? So the trick is to thank the, Lord, thank the person who's complimenting you for their graciousness. Thank you for your kind words. You know, I'm grateful to God. You're appreciating the person, but you're acknowledging God as your source. Amen. Right? These are speech habits. Speech habits. Whenever someone gives me feedback, I always say, and then you say whatever you say. Marriage habits. When my wife talks to me, I always what do you do? What's your speech habit? Before we go to bed at night, I always make sure I kiss my wife goodnight and pray for her. Those are two things I'll always do. Right? I can be downstairs working, 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 and she can say, guys, I'm going to bed now. My love, you're busy. You don't have to come up. So I'll always make a point. Let me go up. And she, she, she sleeps on her back. Don't tell her I told you. She's, no jokes. She, she sleeps on her back. I don't know, if I lie on my back, I feel like I can be choked or... <laughs> I tend to snore more when I'm, when I'm lying on my back. Anyway, and I love just seeing the smile on her face where I give her a kiss goodnight. Even if we've had an argument earlier on, it's a marriage habit. And the other day, she went upstairs and I thought she was still awake and she had already fallen asleep by the time I got back. And I thought to myself, it was like something was missing because I hadn't kissed her goodnight. 
Amen? You can create habits for yourself in terms of marriage habits. What about health habits? When I'm at home, I only eat ice cream once a week. And that's usually Sundays. Yay, today is my ice cream day. Yay. Okay, it's true. Why is everyone, why, why is everyone all like, are you feeling bad or something? All right. When I go and teach at Gibbs, for example, when I go to Gibbs, the meals there are really nice. But I've made a decision that whenever I eat lunch there, I won't eat dessert there. I won't associate eating lunch there with dessert. Because we complain where after months I'm like, what's all this flab? What's all this flab? But then I look at the habits. Amen? When the waiter says there's no Sprite Zero, my default is to ask for water. That's an affirmation I've got because sometimes they'll say, there's no such and such zero. Then you're like, okay, just give me the such and such because there's no zero. Then you have the sugared one. When the waiter asks if I want it fried or grilled, I will always say grilled. When the waiter asks what you want as a side, my default is to say salad, not chips. It doesn't have to be the same default for you. I'm sharing from my life decisions that I'm making because these are the habits. The waiter, the waiter won't, doesn't control my weight. Excuse the pun. They're not in charge of my weight. I am. So there are things I can say no to. Amen? Maybe you've got your own version. Maybe for you it will be like, I'll ask for the small chips and not the big chips. <laughs> okay? Whenever I sit down to work, I'll sit with a bottle of water. And guys, what's important is, you know, I remember in my varsity days in the 90s, there's this concept we, we call chekuleft. In Shona, we call it chekuleft. Basically, what happened was, there's a guy, he came, and I had a nice coffee machine, and he asked me for some coffee. And I gave him the coffee, and then he says, ko chekuleft. And you know what chekuleft is? the thing that goes into the left hand. Because in his mind as a habit, you can't just have coffee without having something else also. Does that make sense? And for some people, that becomes a habit. It becomes a habit. An unhealthy habit. And finally, devotional and ministerial habits. When I get up in the morning, the first thing I do is, when we open corporate prayer meetings, we always start with praise and thanksgiving. Before we eat, we always say grace. When I prepare a sermon, I make sure that I pray through the sermon for the recipients of the sermon before I preach the sermon. Those are ministry habits. Amen. Let's pray. If you are here this morning and God has convicted you about habits in your life, maybe it's bad habits that need to be displaced by good ones, and He's dropped in your heart these things, I want to encourage you, don't try to do everything all at once, otherwise you fail at it. But one or two habits at a time in the different areas of your life. Maybe it's one marriage habit. Talk to your spouse about it. Maybe it's one health habit. Maybe it's one speech habit. If God has spoken to you about that, just raise both hands to heaven. And I want to pray for us as a congregation that we are empowered this morning in this life of habits. Amen.
Father, you see your people responding to you. God, we say we want to have powerful habits, habits that empower us. Right now, in the name of Jesus, for this congregation, we displace the disempowering habits with empowering habits. And we ask for your grace and your wisdom, Lord, that you may help us. That these habits become a lifestyle. That, Lord, as we commit ourselves to do things that become our routine until we are automatically doing them, if it takes us two months, that's great. If it takes us six months, that's okay. We choose to push through with these things. So release your grace over your people this morning and come and do this wonderful thing. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. And the people of God said, Amen. Hey, family, online family, that was a great message, wasn't it? We really want to fill the globe with all this teaching. Our passion is to raise leaders and release reformers. So if you want to tap into more of these teachings, you can go to www.gochurch.co.za. And I think you'll really be refreshed and reformed as you go through our materials. Well, if you enjoyed that message, click subscribe and also share with your friends, with your enemies. Don't forget... We've got the live feed that takes place 9.30 every Sunday morning.